So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read the first 12 verses, and then we'll zoom, zero, zoom in on a few verses, 3 through 7, 3 through 5. Now, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, the evangelion, the good news, the heralding, the message, what that word meant or means, the good news, the gospel that I preach to you and that you received and on which you stand. Oh, I could, oh, so much goodness right there. They heard the story, the full story of the life, teachings, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and sending of the Spirit. And that drew them into Christianity from other religious systems and pop atheism of the time, we might say. Or sort of going through the motions, religious systems. You responded to that, you received it, and now you're standing on this story. (laughs) You can stand on a story. There's one story you can stand on from now until the end, from A to Z. And it's this story. In verse 2, he says this. And by which you are being saved, you stand on it, you are saved, and now you are being saved, present tense, ongoing action. If, 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 for those of you that are wavering and wrestling, if, conditional, if you hold firmly to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, just did it because grandma told you to, verse 3, for I passed on to you that of first importance, what I also received. And so he's talking about a chain of relaying here. He received it from the apostles because he experienced a resurrected Christ. He had a personal encounter with a living Jesus after his death and resurrection and ascension. He had this vision encounter. And he said, so he went and he verified it. And they affirmed that which he received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The end of verse 3, we'll unpack it a little more, but just note this. According to the scriptures, would you say that with me so I just know you're tracking with you? According to the scriptures. Now, we have this letter. The scriptures he's referring to was what the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, according to the scriptures. He's pulling in all of what went before. In verse 4, that he, Jesus, was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Again, this phrase, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 of brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, Verses 5 and 6, Paul is saying to them, and I know I'm preaching while we're reading the text, I I get that, but I'm not going to go back over this. He's saying that there are eyewitnesses. Richard Balcom has a great book about first about ancient biography and, and this idea of these eyewitnesses. By doing this, he's saying, these people are still alive, go talk to them. This is not as some modern pop atheist claim mythicism that this was all made up. This stuff, there's a chain of actual eyewitnesses all the way back. But that's another sermon. Whew, okay, we're almost there. Verse 7. So he appeared to the one, he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to five hundred. By the way, they're most alive, go talk to them. But some have fallen asleep, which is language for death in New Testament, believing in the resurrection to come. And verse 7, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also, to this visionary experience. And then the last few verses... For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Not only did he appear to me, he appeared to me when I was a harsh follower of another faith, of another way. 
and not only that, I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. <laughs> Woohoo! It's like Popeye right there. I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them. That's a little boasting, a little bit there. You know, Paul's all about humility, except for when he's not. Uh, I worked harder than all of them. And yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Thank you, Paul, for remembering it was his spirit by grace working in you. Whether then it was I or they, this is the way we preach, and this is the way you have believed. Now I'm going to read one more verse, verse 12. Now if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, let's pray. We'll get to the middle. Lord, I'm so excited to be with these people in this new year, my brothers and sisters. And it is an honor, humbling to share the word with them and then to discern together in home church and wrestle and dig deeper and push back. And Lord, I can't change anyone's heart today. I'm a middling level preacher at best. But your anointing and Holy Spirit can take the foolishness and the weakness of humanity and demonstrate your outrageous grace and love and blessedness in our midst. So God, do what only you can do today through this ancient practice of expounding scripture. Change hearts and minds. And may each one of us today leave this place taking one step in a new direction or a next direction towards you. In the name of God, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, the redeemer of all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And if you will say amen and be seated. Okay, I've got a few, okay, I've got a little bit of time. Here we go. So the main point this morning that I want you to walk away with, and we're just going to spend some time teasing out, is that the gospel as preached in the New Testament is not justification by faith alone, grace alone, all of the solas of the Reformation. That comes out of the message or is a re response to that message. But the core message of the gospel is the story of Jesus Christ, historical, real person, death, teachings, I should say teachings, birth, teachings, life, death, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Holy Spirit. And as the fullness of Israel's story that had gone before Jesus becomes the fulfillment of that or the, the one who now expands it to all of us everywhere for all time. And so this is the story of the gospel. We want to understand that because out of that then flows things like the plan of salvation and the method of persuasions to help people make that step if they're ready or the Holy Spirit's been working on them. So if you're following it this morning, let's unpack this a little more. Salvation is part of the larger picture of a gospel culture. And as a church, we want to facilitate the gospel culture. And out of that flows this call then to follow Jesus. Then how do I do this? We first want to make sure we're captivated by the story of Jesus. We first want to understand what has happened in the, in the brokenness at the beginning of time. And the scriptures tell us this idea that there was brokenness all the way back. Genesis tells us God created and wanted humans in his image and likeness. And so he creates these humans in reflection of him. But he has to give them freedom so they actually can have true love. Knowing that they will misuse that or most likely that they would misuse that. And he plans for that. So the gospel, again, is not simply about dealing with my sin. Now, that's important. I think we can pendulum swing too far the other way and forget that repentance is empowering. In our culture, in the West, we've gotten to this point and this idea of everything we are is blessed. All that I am is good. 
You live your truth. Your truth is your truth. All of that kind of language. But Christians say we know deep down that there is a yearning and a desire and a brokenness also that we need to be honest about. And not to be under shame. In a past generation, we beat people and there was shame and lots of people recovering from that sort of toxic spirituality. But it is also toxic to deny the fact that we, something has gone amiss. How can we not see the news? How can we not look at the world? How can we not talk about all of the, the running after identity this and identity that? That there's a, there's a fundamental something that has gone wrong that needs healing and health, that needs sort of the cosmic love poured into it to bring new life. And so, yes, that's part of what flows out of the gospel, but this fundamental story that God is here and among us This larger gospel culture we need to understand. And we need to understand the whole career of Jesus, not just the cross, but the whole story of Jesus, the whole life of Jesus, which includes the plan of salvation, but is much bigger than that. God wants to transform the world, friends. We have to remember this story because the story makes us lift up our eyes and say, it's not just about Jesus and me. This church is not just about us as an inward club. It is about God wanting to use us as people who bring the shalom and the peace and the reign and the love of Jesus, the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom to others. So the gospel is not just about dealing with your sin, but a much bigger story. If we get this wrong, let me go a little dark on you for a second. If we get this wrong, We misunderstand the power of the local church, that this is an embassy of the kingdom of God. We misunderstand the importance of what we do when we gather. It's not just Jesus and me or Jesus and just us, but there's a component of the story of God being revealed. Otherwise, we make the same mistakes that ancient Israel did and thought it was just a bless me club for them. And, and, they, and the prophets were sent again. So, no, 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 it's not about that. You are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. If we get this gospel salvation thing wrong, our understanding of prayer and worship and the role of the Old Testament and so many other things begins to go off the rails. If we get this wrong, our relationship with our bodies, our money, and our relationships is severely limited to what we already think and know by the world's programming and brainwashing. You see... There's a reason why the church gets persecuted by powers. Because the church actually causes you to think deeper thoughts and to do deeper actions and to love beyond the othering and the identity markers and the wall building that our world is full of building walls over and over again. I think of Sarasota, Florida when I say walls. I live there. But you drove into this town and I'd moved from Toronto, which was open neighborhoods and city of neighborhoods. And they'd have these wide streets, 50 miles an hour. What is that in kilometers? 80, something like that, 80 kilometers. And these big streets, like through, like night would be like 80 kilometers, right? That kind of street. And then these neighborhoods were hedged in with these shrubberies. And you had to get into usually one or two streets in and out of the neighborhood. And all the neighborhoods were literally walled. Not all of them, but most of them were literally walled. Division upon, we don't, we don't want our neighbor, you know, we don't want the neighborhoods to bump up against each other. This idea of tearing down walls. So let's move a little farther into this unpacking this morning. When we talk about the plan of salvation, apart from the gospel story, the plan becomes abstract. It becomes propositions and logic and rationality and philosophy. But it becomes 
removed from the story. And once you remove this idea of God is saving me as an individual from the story of God's bigger work in all of the world from the beginning of time and fully revealed in the life of Jesus, we separate ourselves ultimately from the true faith of Christ. And again, we begin to create new religious systems with rules and boundaries, and we turn this revelation of God into another religious system. Christianity is not supposed to be that. It means we reduce it, too, to Jesus and me sometimes. We cut out the core of God recreating you and me into a new humanity, and we simply baptize our brokenness and our divisions and our wall building, and it shifts us from Christ and community to individualism and new tribalism. We see this in denominationalism all the time. I have some weaknesses for sure, but also some strengths. I see the beauty in how God works within all of these, all of our brokenness. He still calls us to unity. I think in North America, in this post-Christendom phase, there's more unity among churches that used to be all about building walls. Well, we're Baptist. Well, what kind of Baptist are you? Well, we're North American Baptist. That means that we're this, this, and another thing. We, have, we had a certain ethnic identity, and we had a certain uh, religious movement, pietism, but not just pietism, because those were the Lutherans that really got it in the heart, but they didn't get it in the heart enough. We became the radical pietists, and so we split from them. And so wall after wall after wall, often the Holy Spirit using the brokenness, just like the Holy Spirit did with ancient Israel making bad decisions God said, I made you a nation of kings and priests, and you want a king like the nations all around you. Don't do it. It's a dumb decision. The king will rule over you. The king will demand taxes. The king will send your sons to war and have them killed for the sake of accumulating power and wealth and a bigger nation. Don't do it, Israel. But God condescended to Israel's desire and said, fine, you want a king? I'll work with you. But just so you know, I'm your ultimate king still, and this system will fail you. We get to be like that. We have tribalism, this division, these, these wall building. The gospel reminds us that we are about tearing down walls and reveals that it's the story of Jesus at the center. I need to keep going here, don't I? And everyone said amen? I'm beating the same point from multiple directions. That's what's happening right now. Because it's so important that we get this. That you get this. The gospel is the story of Jesus which brings about the fullness of the plan that God revealed through ancient Israel And then out of that flows our call to follow Jesus. But it is the story that is the compelling aspect. It is the Holy Spirit anointed uh, telling and preaching and individually sharing how Jesus has captivated you. And if you don't know the life and teachings of Jesus, you must immerse yourself in that. And as you do that, you may experience newness of life and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you will experience that outward thrust of the kingdom of God. Well, the gospel has to be the the center. The whole story of God's self-revelation, we are called to be a gospel people, not a salvation culture people. Salvation flows out of being saturated in the story of Jesus. I like how uh, one writer says this. He says, for the apostle Paul, the word gospel, say gospel with me, is connected to the story of Israel, the Old Testament in his Roman context. And then the word gospel becomes an announcement to announce that the God of the universe was king and to announce that Caesar was not. The gospel was not the plan of salvation. The gospel is not a system of how we get saved. It is the announcement of the gospel that results in people getting saved. When you hear the sense that there is more for you than what Canadian culture has said, 
or family of origin has said. That your truest, truest identity is rooted in a God who moved to creation and is speaking through weakness in order to reveal himself gently for our from below. When you begin to hear that there is a God who has revealed his love, who has come down and become one of us and has made claims on all of us, And that this God desires that we see each other differently as brothers and sisters, not as others, not as American or Canadian, not as rich or poor, not as educated or not, not as one ethnicity or the other ethnicity. But our first identity is that we are one new humanity because of Jesus. When you begin to, when that begins to do something within you, it begins to say, how can I be part of that? How can I be part of that kind of, I don't want my identity to be defined by my social economic class or Western views of sexuality or I don't want that to be if I want something when that begins to pull on you you're responding to part of the gospel story that you were created for more in his image and likeness he created you something is broken how do I deal with the broken part then I want to ask how can I become part of this or to use old church language how can I then be saved comes out of this sense of the bigger picture of God's spirit and what he's doing am I just preaching to myself today Anybody else hearing this? Paul says, in him, he tears down the dividing wall of hostilities or hostility. God help us when the Christian church, and I think this is a beautiful time in North America, the church is sort of getting a reboot. It didn't necessarily ask for it, but I think the Lord is doing it. Because we've gotten a little bit too concerned about our walls. A little too concerned about the things that are not even secondary in terms of the gospel. He's doing a new thing. Okay, I better land this plane so you don't, so y'all come back next Sunday for how do we actually tell the story? How do we gospel? How do we do the gospeling? The verb of the gospel. <clears throat> we say the creed here every Sunday just about. And I know some of you might be slightly irritated by that. I'm your pastor. I love you. But I'm also here to irritate you in a holy way, mostly. I'm a sinner, too, in process. So sometimes it's not holy. Sometimes it's I have to repent or you have to repent. Um, But we say that in part because these creeds came out of what the early church we would call the rule of faith. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedon definition of who Christ is, was the early church summarizing the story of Jesus and in response to some heresies or some uh, things that were trying to, to lower the story of Jesus. And we say these in part because they are the gospel in a nutshell, in a summary statement. But again, the most summarized version of it in New Testament is really 1 Corinthians fifteen three. For I passed unto you of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins... So he dies for our sins, but Paul doesn't sit there and say, and now we need to understand all the theories of atonement. How, Jesus, what did it do? Is it penal substitutionary atonement? Is this Christus Victor? Is it the moral governance of God? He doesn't define any of that. He just leaves it open, which means we should leave it open too. All of them, yes, to all of them. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, meaning all of the story of Israel and even before Israel, and that he was buried And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Dead, buried, his whole life story and he appeared after his resurrection. And that this story gets fleshed out again and again throughout New Testament. This is the gospel of Jesus. It is the center of the faith. 
I was going to unpack the three paragraphs, but I think I'll pick up with that next Sunday and then talk about how do we gospel. Richard, Richard Balcom says this in Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. He says, in the case of the resurrection, the crucial portion of the data is taken from known church leaders who were actually present at the events themselves. And those whose very lives depended on the truthfulness, he uses a fancier word, veracity, out of the Latin uh, veracity of their report, don't believe the mythicists, people who deny that Jesus was actually a historical figure, mythicist is what it's called, who say this was an invented centuries later. It wasn't. It simply doesn't line up with the history that we know. They are choosing historical ignorance, those who deny that Jesus was a historical figure for another agenda. And they do not apply this to other historical figures, tellingly, written about when they, when they were really centuries of time before the first writing. Paul wrote about the resurrection from his accounts at most five to six years after Jesus' crucifixion from many eyewitnesses. And keep in mind that Paul converted from radical persecution of Christians from a position of power to sharing Christ and being tracked down and hunted all over the Roman Empire. For this reason, virtually all scholars, no matter how skeptical their orientation, agree that 1 Corinthians and Galatians were among the most early authoritative Christian writings summarizing the story of Jesus. When I speak about the story of Jesus... If there's something in you that causes sort of a catch in your brain, or to quote Morpheus, a splinter in your mind, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the resurrected Christ Spirit at work saying there is more. Do not be assimilated. Do not be conformed to simply the pattern of the world. There's another way of being human. Break out of that. The story of Jesus gives us power to do that. And the salvation that comes out of it tells us this is how we choose and begin the journey of following him. I like how he says that Paul, of all people, persecuted the faith. And he had everything to lose in following Jesus. Power, authority, money, politics, station, all of it, face, all of it, all of it. But he encounters a living Christ. I go back to my Iranian brothers and sisters, my Persian brothers and sisters, who are choosing to follow Christ, some of them even in the past months, that there's some sort of renewal, revival, some, some following of Christ. It is the story of Jesus that compels them. You don't leave uh, in a nation where you will be persecuted in the theocracy or my brothers and sisters in mainland China as the government is cracking down. You don't choose to follow Jesus unless there's something so compelling about the story that you experience Jesus as a living Christ that draws you to say, yes, how can I be saved now? How can I follow him? I dare say I come from this sort of culture that's been immersed in the story of Jesus for hundreds of years, not necessarily my family personally, but it's sad news when the next generation has not taken the story of Jesus seriously and let themselves just be sort of passively assimilated like the Borg into the othering and wall-building systems of the kingdoms of the world. Hear the story of Jesus again. I like the writings of like C.S. Lewis. You know, it's a bit dated and J.R.R. Tolkien and how they sort of retell the story of Jesus using a little bit of uh, literary um, uh, license and openness. 
find ways to engage with the Gospels. Okay, so what should we, how should we end this sermon this morning? Well, I'll give you my takeouts, and then we continue next Sunday. Salvation in the church must be rooted in the story of Jesus. It is Jesus at the center. Jesus is the center of our faith. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the fullness of the story of Israel coming in him. And that we are grafted into that story through Jesus. Come to know the story of Jesus. Read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Go and immerse yourself in it again and again and again. And it will rewire your brain to think differently about the world and the people around you. And begin to move you into this new humanity. And you will ask the question, so what should I do with this story? How can I be saved? Jesus must become the center of the story that we learn and tell and share here at Pilgrim Church. Like never before, we are pilgrims on a journey with Jesus at the center. It is not about whether we are Baptist or Pentecostal or, or, or uh, Eastern Christian or Western Christian or whatever. That stuff is all secondary or third level. It has to again and again and again point us back to Jesus as the center. God wants to do more for you and I than just simply save us from our sins, but he wants us to demonstrate a new humanity through our home church, through our experience, through how we love our neighbors, how we care for our city. Rediscovering discipleship means following Jesus, giving allegiance to Jesus in all of life. It means there's areas of our lives that we need to say, Holy Spirit, come in to that area. I've been putting up walls to keep you out, but I invite you in. Repentance, that's what repentance is saying. Where I had a wall, I'm taking it down and inviting Jesus in. That's repentance, right? I tear down that wall, Lord. In that area of my thinking, that area of my body, that area of my finances, that area of my family, I tear down that wall. Come in, Jesus, and speak. And give me the power, the grace to walk in what you say. So next Sunday we will talk a little more about this text. And then what does it look like to tell this story? How can we begin to tell this even more? Stand with me this morning. I want to pray with you. The ABCs of salvation are wonderful, but... They are not the gospel. They are the response to the story. Are we singing anything on our way? Oh, come on up. Why? I don't know about you, but I believe that this year is going to be one of the best years in Pilgrim Church's history. You say, well, pastor, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, it's not because of me because of the work of the God in the church. And if we focus on getting Jesus even more at the center, let us trust that his story will draw, will attract. And as we learn how to share and tell and gospel the story, or as Paul says in verse 1, he says, I gospeled the gospel to you, as a literal translation. I good news the good news to you. As we learn to be people of that news, that good news, he can do amazing things with that. We see that in the book of Acts. It was the story that drew them to say, what must I do? What, how can I respond to the story? Let's learn to tell the better story of Jesus this year. Let's pray. Lord, we've been building walls and telling other stories to ourselves and letting the stories of the culture shape us and form us all the time. The liturgies of the secular kingdom all around us or other religious systems 
And we know that you came not to bring a new religion, but to end religion, to shut it down, to quote Bruxy Cavey. And call us to enter into a, a living reality of you by your spirit. And so I pray that this is a church that tears down walls, that shuts down religion, that enters into loving outrageously as the Jesus Creed tells us and we'll talk about in two Sundays. But then we remember that justification by faith is great, but it's a response to the larger picture. It flows out of, it's a piece, but it's not the whole thing. It's not just Jesus and me or Jesus and us, it's Jesus and all of creation To quote the Reformed theologian, there is not a part of creation that you do not say, Lord, that it is mine that you lay claim to. And so, God, may we be part of that. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And if they're here and they haven't said yes to you or they need to turn back towards you, may they do that today. May they admit that we do have broken pieces, that we need your salvation, and that we're dead in our trespasses and sins but your grace that goes before and enables us to respond. And that we believe that you were a historical person making claims on all people in all times. By faith, we step into that scandalous mystery, scandalous back then as it is today, but yet we hear the music of another kingdom and we want to sing the song. How do we sing the song? So we want to also confess, and if that's you today, confessing, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I tear down the walls in this area. I've been keeping you out of this area. I, 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 tell you, I take a sledgehammer to that wall and say, Jesus, come in. If that's you today, he will enter in by his spirit. You may not feel it, but you might. But you will begin to have a curiosity and a desire. He will build that within you as you continue to take the next step by faith. He meets you in the step. Do that today. Lord, do your work. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.